0: going to be staying here today, so um, lucky you guys, right? Um, when we began this series called Jesus in Genesis, we set the stage by reminding everybody that uh, this book called the Bible is a story. It, it's not a, a book of self-help quotes for us to kind of pull a, a verse here or there and try to apply to our life in any situation It's an ongoing story from beginning to end of our sin and God's redemption. And every character that we encounter along the way represents us, the heroes and the villains. And the last couple of weeks we've been taking a look at a character named Abraham, a man chosen to be the father of a great nation which would become Israel, uh, through whom God said the whole world would be blessed. Because through Abraham's seed was born the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And we've looked, a couple of weeks ago we looked at Abraham's calling. God called him out of one land and said, I want you to go to this land called Canaan, which is present day Israel. And we, we looked at the way that he responded to that obediently, even though there were lots of unknowns. We took a look at the sign of the covenant last week, this mark of circumcision or a cutting away or a distrust in the flesh. And that would be a sign that would set the people of Israel apart. And wrapped up in all of this is a crazy and miraculous promise that through Abraham and Sarah, even though they were old in the age, that there were going to be a son born to them through whom this promise would be fulfilled. And they waited a long time for that son, 25 years from the first calling that he received until... That son Isaac was born. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis 21, right there at the beginning. Genesis 21. We're gonna look at verses one through six. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, and as he had said, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So their son is given the name Isaac, which means laughter. And you can just hear the the joy, the enthusiasm in Sarah's words there as she, she talks about this. God has done something preposterous. And Hebrews 11, which kind of mirrors a lot of Abraham's story, says this. It says, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So it gives you a great just image of this guy that's just, you know, knocking on death's door and he's still able through God to do this miraculous thing so a son is born a miraculous promise is fulfilled which makes the events of chapter 22 even that more disturbing so i want to, to turn uh, over to 22 and look at verse 1 it says sometimes later sometime later god tested abraham he said to him abraham here i am he replied so god tested him And in spiritual terms, what's the purpose of a test? What's the purpose of being spiritually tested? Yeah, Barb. Okay, you get to see what's inside of you and what you really believe. So what we say we believe with our mouth is tested to see if what's inside and the way that we really live is, is acted out, okay? It reveals our true character. Auto manufacturers, when they make new cars, they test those cars hundreds and hundreds of times, and they want to make sure that the integrity of the vehicle is going to hold up under any number of various trying circumstances that you might come to out on the road. And the rooms where those tests are conducted are called the proving grounds, have you ever felt like your faith has been in the proving grounds in life? Many of you already know what's coming in this story. So let's look at some of the conditions of this testing of Abraham's faith. Let's look at verse 2. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Let that sink in just a little bit. I want you to think of all that Abraham and Sarah had been through. How long they waited for this promised son. How much joy and laughter it brought them both when after this extensive time of waiting, I'm sure Many, many heartaches before that. They finally are holding this beautiful boy named Isaac. God has been faithful. And now God is asking Abraham to sacrifice this promised child. Guys, in case you haven't figured this out, this story is meant to shock us, it's meant to make us squirm. And too often, not only this story, but a lot of other stories in the Bible doesn't make us do that. And I think sometimes it's because we fail to remember that these are real people, real people with real joys and pains just like us, highs and lows in life. And I think sometimes we can become so familiar with the Bible that it fails to disturb us. The Gospels, the account of Jesus' life, if you've read those, they're meant to be offensive, even scandalous. And I wonder sometimes if we've kind of tamed the Bible so that it's a little bit easier for us to swallow, so it doesn't upset our stomach so much. And in effect, I think we've kind of defamed God But God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. It feels like God is kind of laying it on thick here. And you think about this and you're thinking, man, hadn't Abraham been faithful? Hadn't he packed up his whole family and moved to a faraway land where he was a stranger, even though it seemed like a crazy promise? Hadn't he waited 25 long, hard years for this promise to become fulfilled? Surely this is a mistake. Surely God isn't just going to throw this all away. But God knows exactly what he's asking Abraham to do. Because God did it himself, didn't he? John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So this is the first of many foreshadowings of Jesus that we're going to see here this morning. And God is making sure that Abraham doesn't love Isaac more than he loves God himself. You see, it's easy for the things that we love in this world to become idols in our hearts whether it's our children or our careers, our material things, our acceptance, our dreams of a comfortable and charming life. God knows exactly what he's asking Abraham to do, and he knows how hard it's gonna be for him. And as I was writing this, I kind of wondered, what was that night like? Abraham's laying in bed, and he's been given this command by God. And I kind of picture him just, you know, wrestling around and just laying there, unable to sleep, thinking about the task ahead. And I wondered, did he tell Sarah? I knew pretty quickly he didn't. Because if I told my wife that that's what God told me to do, she would club me to death in my sleep. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's crazy. But as you look at the story, on several other occasions, God had given Abraham some pretty crazy commands, hadn't he? I mean, he said, pack up everything you know, and I want you to move over to this place where there's other people already there. And I'm just going to give it to you, and I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to give it to you. You're just going to pop a tent up and kind of hang out on their land for a while. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, but you don't have any kids, and you're old and incapable of doing that. I'm going to give you a son, and he came through again and again and again. God has this track record in Abraham's life of being faithful. So that had to count for something. And this brings up an important question, I think, for us today, is do we have a catalog or a record in our life of God's faithfulness? When times get difficult in our life and our faith is tested, do we have some things that we can look back at and say, oh yeah, this is just a part of my collection, (laughs) but these are my prayer journals and i probably have another 15 of these in my office. And so every day, most days, not say every day, i take out a pen and i just write my prayers. Cuz i can't concentrate very well when i don't. <laughs> but if i ever want to, i can look back at any season of my life and i can look and see what i was thinking, what i was praying, how god was answering those prayers. See the way God shaped me through those trials and tests. And so I have those to look at. But I also have some rocks. And every year at Wellspring, at the beginning of a new year, we usually kind of create some space during our service for people to kind of look back on the past year and, and think about how God kind of showed up in your life. How was he faithful? And we have people just write down a word or two or a phrase on a rock and. Um, there's two that kind of stand out to me that are in my office all the time. One is from 2006, the year we started Wellspring. And everybody that helped us start our church got one of these, and it says, remember. And we talked about a story that's in Joshua chapter 4 that talks about when the Israelites are led into the promised land, fulfillment of this promise, they cross the Jordan River, and God says, go and take Well, God parts the waters, first of all. They walk across the river on dry land. God says, take a rock from that river and keep hold of it and remember what I've done for you so that when your children ask about it in the future, you have some amazing stories to tell them. The other rock is from 2013, and it has the name Xavier on it. So that was the year that our family, we traveled twice to Ethiopia to bring our son home with us. And so I have this catalog, this, this data that I can look back on and say, man, I remember when God was there. So that when I get in times of my life that seem really confusing and disorienting and painful and trying, I can look back and say, yeah, but God, He's come through for me. I remember that. And God said to Abraham, go. And after a restless night of sleep, he obeys. Let's look at verse 3. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So that morning, he goes out and he chops the wood for the sacrifice. Can you imagine Chopping the wood that your son is going to be sacrificed on? Put yourself there. It's agonizing to think about. It makes me wonder what God was thinking about when he created the tree that was going to be shaped into the cross, that was going to carry his son to his death. God knows exactly what Abraham was feeling. Look at verse 4. It says, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. So, three days of traveling. Three days of agony. I mean, can you imagine how many times Abraham looked at Isaac like I would with my son and thought about all the things that they had done together, the memories that they had created? He probably watched him as he slept at night thinking, how many more times am I gonna get to watch this, right? Do you see the foreshadowing of Christ again? It says, on the third day, right? Redemption always comes on the third day. But did you notice what he tells the servants in verse five? He says, we will worship and then we will come back to you. How could Abraham say that with confidence? What do you think he was thinking I'm asking you a question. Looking for your thoughts. Yes, Claire. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So he's thinking about the promise. He's like, God promised he was going to do this. He gave me this son. Yeah, even if he had to, I mean, that's a lot of faith at the time, right? That he could raise him from the dead if he needs to. The writer of Hebrews gives us some insight into this. Let's take a look at what he says in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God even, uh, could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. So now it's just father and son that are trekking up the hill. Verse 6 says this, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So now the foreshadowing is really getting thick. Isaac is carrying the wood, just like Jesus would carry his own cross up the hill to his crucifixion. So thousands of years before Jesus is ever crucified, the very first book of the Bible is telling us about how his life will end as well. But when we think about it, it's really also foreshadowing of our own life, isn't it? Because Jesus asked us to do the very same thing that God asked Isaac to do, that Jesus did himself. Luke nine twenty three, Jesus tells us, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So we're right here in the middle of this story too. Isaac is each one of us. Look at verse 7. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. A fire in the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, And the two of them went on together. Oh boy. (laughs) The jig is up, right? Isaac's like, well. Have you ever had to reassure your kids that everything's going to be okay when your own faith is kind of tenuous at best? There's a lot of things I would love to have included in this story. I would love if they had a heart rate monitor on Isaac and Abraham here. Like, what was Isaac really thinking? Was Abraham really this just kind of chill, right? So confident? In verse 8, we see more foreshadowing of Christ. Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, When Jesus arrives on the scene a couple thousand years later to begin his earthly ministry, John the Baptist looks at Jesus, and he points to him, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter, in his letter we looked at this summer, 1 Peter, he says it like this in chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The Lord himself will provide, Abraham said. Who do you trust in to provide for you? Because Abraham was out of answers. I mean, if this story was going to end well, God was going to have to show up. And how often in life do we step out into places of faith where we don't really have any answers, no strategic plans to figure out how we're going to get through this? God's going to have to show up in those situations. Let's look at verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Can you even imagine that moment? And how had it come to that? I mean, Abraham is in this situation because he's being completely obedient to God. He's doing exactly what God told him to do. And that's where it led him. John the Baptist was called to prepare the way for Jesus, doing exactly what God had called him to do, gets arrested unjustly, put in prison and gets his head cut off. Jesus comes, does exactly what his father asked him to do, is unjustly accused of a crime, and is put to death on a Roman cross. So my point in this is that we have to be very careful how we interpret our pain and our trials in life or before we give advice to other people. God doesn't say that people who obey him will be spared suffering. He just promises to be with us in it. And he promises that we will be rewarded in heaven one day. And what about Isaac? I mean, he had to comply and completely trust his father and God himself. Because I want you to think about this. Isaac is probably a teenager at this time. Abraham, it said, was pretty much dead at 100. Now he's 115 to 120. Do you really think that he could wrestle Isaac onto the wood, the altar? No. No. If anything, Isaac could just run away if he wanted to, right? Isaac willingly surrendered. Think about that for a while. And again, this is foreshadowing to Jesus who willingly laid himself on the cross and took the nails. Knowing that he was the king of kings and that if he wanted to, he could call down angels to destroy those Romans right there and get him off the cross. But he submitted himself to the will of the Father. And we're not just Abraham in this story wrestling with our faith, we're also Isaac. And God is asking us, you know, our call as followers of Christ is to submit to humble ourselves, to lay our life down, to consider others better than ourselves, to serve everyone. How willingly do we accept that call as Christ followers? And this is hard to say, but we're also like Isaac, Because in essence, God is standing over each one of us, ready to kill us for our sins. Because we were all born enemies of God. And without accepting Jesus as the substitute and the penalty for our sin, that we are eternally slain as well. And that's a sobering and uncomfortable reality, but it's true. So Abraham is poised to plunge this knife into his son when he hears a voice calling his name. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. So remember, Abraham at that time, they're surrounded by pagan cultures where child sacrifice was a regular part of life. And so God is intervening in this moment. He's saying, that's not who I am. My nature is different than these other deities people are worshiping. And so in essence, he says, it's not this Isaac. There's gonna be another Isaac that's gonna come one day. And he's going to pay the ultimate price. And he'll be the final and complete sacrifice for sins. And God provides a ram, a substitute for Isaac, just like Jesus would be our substitute one day as well. But God wants to take us up to the very edge in this story. The very edge. And some of you here today aren't parents, but you can substitute whatever your hopes and dreams are for life, whatever it is that you cherish and adore most, and you can put that on the altar. And God is asking each one of us, is there anything in life that you are clinging to more tightly and holding on to more than me? Are we willing to lay down everything To gain Christ. Because Jesus demands our complete allegiance to him. And we can try to water it down. And and play by our own rules. But there's no mistaking how offensive his calling is. It is meant to shock us. Just like this story should. If you don't believe me, turn over to Matthew chapter 10 in your Bibles. It's page 885. Matthew chapter 10, page 885. These are Jesus' words. Verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Why would God give us such demands? This is me asking you a question. For okay, for hope, maybe, yeah. Yeah, Will? For our benefit? For our benefit. Okay. It won't if doing it any other way won't work. Why? Okay. Yeah. just because if you didn't then we would be the judge of what that was like. What do you mean? as far as the length that we should or have to go to. Okay. Yeah, he wants to kind of make us really uncomfortable by giving us kind of an extreme example, right? So that we don't kind of try to water it down (laughs) to make it easier to. Guys, what is it we're looking for in those relationships from our children, from our spouse? We're looking for things to satisfy us, aren't we? We're looking for someone to love us and adore us and tell us how awesome we are. God is saying, God, only I can do that. Just like Will said, if you're you're trying to find your satisfaction in something that is of this created world, you will constantly be disappointed. So don't even go there. I'm telling you it's not going to work. He's doing it because he loves us and he doesn't want to see us pursuing things that are going to end in just fruitless disappointment. He's saying, if you come to me, I'll meet your needs. I'll satisfy you like no one else can. Because guess what? you will also disappoint other people. So if they're looking to you, they're looking at the wrong place too. And when we read the story of Abraham and Isaac and we listen to Jesus' words, we have to wonder how far God may ask us to go to surrender the things that we may be idolizing more than him. I mean, he asked Abraham to put his son on an altar and almost kill him. What might he ask you to do? What will be the path to our proving grounds? And will we be be found faithful? And our job as humans is not to try to understand God. Because if we could understand him anyways, he probably wouldn't be much of a God worth worshiping. Isaiah put it like this, and Isaiah, or actually God put it like this, Speaking through Isaiah and Isaiah 55, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God demands complete allegiance because the price he paid for our redemption was a costly one. It cost him the life of his one and only son whom he loved. And even though I don't always understand him, I will gladly choose to follow a father who considered my life worth laying down his son for. So Abraham passed the test with miraculously flying colors. And so God reaffirms the promise if you look at verse 15 in chapter 22. It says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. Make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sound in the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And so again, I'll ask you the same question that I asked us all two weeks ago, is who in this world is going to be blessed because of your obedience? Who right now is being blessed because of your obedience? Because of Abraham's obedience and Isaac's surrender and God's provision, Christianity is now by far the biggest religion in the world. And I was just reading some information this week that said over 175,000 people a day are coming to the Lord. 175,000 a day, if you didn't see, sorry, it's on the bottom of my pile of (laughs) my record there. The cover of Christianity Today, this week, is a big picture of people worshiping in India and just talking about how the church is just exploding in India, Exploding there. And guys, behind each one of those conversions is someone who's obediently sharing the gospel message with them. Everybody, those 175,000 people a day, there's somebody that's praying. There's somebody that's obediently serving, obediently caring, obediently, if they have to, possibly, laying their life down so that other people might come to know him. Who is being blessed because of your obedience? Who is getting a better picture and image of who Christ is because of your sacrifice, your faith? What are you holding on to that God is saying, I'm going to ask you to lay that down? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're a tricky one. We don't always understand why you do the things you do. And so God, in the end, we have to trust you. We have to trust that you love us, that you want what's best for us, that your word is true. Because sometimes you ask us to do things that just just rip us apart because they don't make sense with our human eyes and our human understanding. And Lord, you talk about faith in the Bible and you say faith is believing in what is unseen (laughs) if we can just see it with our eyes or we can figure it out with our minds then we don't really need you it's not really faith so god strengthen us to be the people that you've called us to be help us to be obedient when you ask us to lay down these idols that we cling to in our life and god i pray that our obedience would be a blessing to others god there's so many people that need your hope god use us Use us to be a light to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand and finish with worship today.